0: Welcome to the Saturday Blitz podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogolki. Welcome back once again to the Saturday Blitz podcast this week for week four action, everybody. We're going to be catching up in our first segment on week three, wrapping up best wins, worst losses, looking at some surprises and some top performances. In our second segment, we'll be diving into week four, looking at five key games against the spread. And in our final segment, we'll be offering up some of our locks and upset picks of the week before we dive into our tailgater fair for the week. How are things going, John?
1: Going great, going great. Kind of crazy that we're already entering week four of college football. You know, it's kind of like a shooting star in the night. You wait so long to see one, and now it's just... Going away, it seems. It's kind of depressing to think about.
0: I know. We're rapidly approaching the end of September already. Only two more weeks of games here. It, yeah, it always feels like you have the long marathon of the offseason, and suddenly, you know, the season sneaks up, and it's a sprint to the finish. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's fun while it lasts.
0: It is fun while it lasts. On that note, we had some fun in Week 3. What was the biggest win that you saw on the schedule?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a good question. There was we kind of talked about it, kind of being a dud of a week, sort of coming into week three. with there no ranked versus ranked matchups? We ended up getting some really good football games uh, this past weekend. Some really quality matchups and some pretty substantial upsets, kind of across the country. Like you kind of come to expect on a weekend where everyone's kind of riding it off. But one of the the best one of the weekend to me, just another. Feather in the cap of the American Athletic Conference was Temple beating Maryland 20-17. to 17. You know, all the talk after the first couple of weeks of it was about the Terps' offense, you know, racking up 79 points in the season opener against Howard, then putting 63 on Syracuse in week two, and people thinking that, you know, they might be a potential dark horse candidate in the Big Ten, and they come out, go to Temple, and, you know, a lot of people were kind of overlooking the Owls, which was foolish because this was a really quality team last year who returned— Just a ton of talent with, you know, Anthony Russo at quarterback, a lot of really quality defenders back as well. And this Temple team proved to everyone again that they are legit. Uh, They really held the Terps offense in check. Uh, Josh Jackson really struggled uh, after really being dynamite the first couple of weeks. He was only 15 of 38 throwing. Um, They really held the Terps rushing offense pretty well in check Anthony McFarland ended up with 132 yards but it took him 26 carries to get there so being able to hold them in check there really hurt Maryland's run pass option ability because you know the run pass option is a great play unless you can't run the ball you know and then exactly. you can kind of sit back on the pass and that's what Temple was able to do and just a really big win for for them and really just once again proven the legitimacy of the AAC this season as one of the best conferences in college football.
0: I really liked that win. I was absolutely impressed watching it go down, especially because I was, you know, I covered that Maryland Syracuse game and, you know, watching them play against the Orange, I I was one of the people that was bought all in. Um, so it was, you know, definitely an eye-opener. And like you said, I think just a huge win for, for the AAC. In, in my mind... I had a different American athletic conference win as my best win of the week. And it was, you know, number 17 UCF coming out after the past couple of years when, you know, the big knock on their undefeated seasons, their undefeated regular seasons has been the schedule. And they came out against a a one in two Stanford team, but a very quality one in two Stanford team. And, uh, absolutely had their way with them. You know, the fact that Dylan Gabriel is a freshman in his second career start, you know, he goes 22 of 30 racks up 347 yards and four touchdowns on a David Shaw team. And, uh, you know, the backfield led by Greg McRae's 109 yards, uh, churns out almost 200 yards on the ground, rack up a couple of touchdowns there. Um, I think, you know, the fact that Gabriel also really spread the ball around well, it's not like he had one huge, you know, receiver that was getting all the targets for, you know, all four of those touchdown passes went to four different guys. And then the defense, like, that was maybe more surprising than the offense. We expect the Knights to have a good offense and to be able to put up points against just about anybody. You know, we've seen them do it against Auburn and LSU the past couple years in bowl games. But, you know, what they did to the Cardinal holding K.J. Costello, a stellar quarterback that, you know, we've heard talked about as a first-round draft pick possibility – you know, held under fifty percent passing, doesn't even get to two hundred yards in the air. I think it all was set when Aaron Robinson picks off that early interception on Sanford's second drive, returns it down to the one and you know, UCF punches in the ball on the next play up fourteen nothing already. It's I, I think that was really the switch that flipped. And so, you know, UCF goes up two points in the polls. They're up to number 15, really starting to generate the kind of buzz that they just didn't have in the previous seasons until, you know, about mid-October. So that was a huge win.
1: Yeah, and I mean, with the quality of the conference as a whole, this might be the best chance UCF has of breaking into the playoff field when you look at the fact that they've got you know, the win over Stanford under their belt. They travel to Pittsburgh next week. So they've got a chance at consecutive power five um, victories. And then you have a conference that's so deep with such quality teams like Cincinnati, like Temple, like Memphis, like SMU and on and on and on. Just a really quality league this year that, you know, I posed the question on Twitter yesterday about if you combined the ACC, the Mountain West and the AAC together after with, you know, the, obvious caveat that clemson's number one how much further down the list if you power rank those leagues do you get before you get the second acc team and that's a testament to not just how bad the acc is beneath clemson but how good both the american athletic conference and the mountain west are
0: yeah both of those leagues have you know really stepped up coming into week four the AAC is five undefeated teams in, you know, one that didn't get mentioned yet was Navy. They, they're another one who's sitting at 2-0. and um, They actually have a second bye week already this week. So we don't get any more data points on the midshipmen yet, but they're also playing really well. And then the Mountain West has four undefeated teams so far, including three in the Mountain Division. That's going to be a really exciting race to keep an eye on all year long as well.
1: Right. And you got Fresno State there that's got two losses, but both close losses to quality power five opponents that they took right down to the wire. And obviously the the Bulldogs won the Mountain West last year, and they're going to be right in the thick of things again this year, it appears.
0: Yeah. And then another one is Hawaii, a team we haven't, you know, we've been talking about a bunch and they just took their first loss, but you lost to a really quality Washington team on the road. So yeah, it's not like that's a huge knock. And the Rainbow Warriors already had two Pac-12 wins, so they're they're doing pretty darn well in that race as well. Well, shifting gears, um, you know, talking about great wins inevitably means that some team had to lose. So, what loss did you see as just the absolute worst to take this weekend?
1: Well, the ACC has really had a really tough year so far, and they took s- several more shots on the chin. Uh, In week three, but there was none more embarrassing for the conference or more embarrassing for a single team than Boston College losing 48 to 24 on Friday night at home to Kansas, Kansas snapping. um, I believe it was a 48 game uh, road losing streak and out of conference games. 48 straight games. it had been over, I believe, a decade since Kansas had won a road game. Not only does Kansas go to Chestnut Hill and win, they blow Boston College out. And this looked like a Boston College team that had a legitimate say as maybe the second best team in the ACC after beating Virginia Tech pretty handily in the season opener. It looked like the Eagles had a quality team this year, and they just get bullied by a Kansas team that you know, is usually on the receiving ends of those kinds of beatdowns. If you just look at the stats, Kansas put up 567 yards of offense. They had 329 yards on the ground on a 7.3 yards per carry clip. It's just insane when you dig into the numbers, just how big of an ass whooping Les Miles' Kansas team handed Boston College on Friday night.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I thought that was an interesting hire when they brought in Les Miles, and it's obviously paying dividends really quickly. You know, the Jayhawks look like a competitive team this year. I'm not going to go so far as to say they have any shot in the Big 12, but, you know, bowl eligibility is a very real possibility for these Jayhawks, just... they're playing at a great level and it, it, you know, hats off to them. I think it was, yeah, you said it was over a decade. I think it was the wacky 2007 season was the last time they had a, a a road win against a power five team. So really long time, Um, you know, in college football terms, it's like two lifetimes ago.
1: Right. I mean, that was the Mark Mangino era. There's a ton of college football fans right now who don't even know who that is. That's how long ago we're talking for the Jayhawks.
0: Exactly. Well, you know, I I, I definitely think the ACC has looked mediocre so far this season. But another team that that stood out as taking just a really ghastly loss in Week 3 was um, Michigan State, something that's going to make our Saturday Blitz editor, Connor, feel just sick to his stomach. I mean, I was talking with him as that game went on, and it was really ugly to see the way it all shook out. You know, the Spartans, they didn't play bad on offense. They outgained Arizona State 2-1, to on or just about 2-1 to on offense in terms of yardage held arizona state to only 216 yards all day on offense so the defense did its job but once again the spartans just can't seem to find the scoreboard to save their life um and then you know they finally take the lead with what it was about eight eight and a half minutes left and you know they hold the sun devils on the next the next drive they get the ball back they can't turn up the clock Sun Devils get it again with about three and a half minutes left. And as we've seen with Herm Edwards' team the past couple years, they just they don't give up the fight. You know, they um, get in, they score that final touchdown. You know, Benjamin gets in those last few yards and with 50 seconds left. But Michigan State still had a shot. They got in a field goal range, you know, They kicked the first one from 42 yards with 12 guys on the field. And uh, so they get backed up five yards, have to do it again. And it hooks wide left, just like you could feel it happening as it did. Um, But, you know, I think in retrospect, half of that pain has to be that there was supposed to be an offsetting penalty there. They should have been kicking from 42 again, but uh, they didn't call leaping on on Arizona State and trying to leap over the line. Obviously, a heartbreaker. We've seen this happen with Pac-12 officiating crews before, where they just don't get it right at the end game. And as somebody who. It, until very recently was living in Pac-12 country it's always infuriating to see that you don't want it to come down to you know a memo coming out after the game saying here's what we got wrong but I mean all around it's it, it was a loss that dropped Michigan State out of the polls completely from number 18 so to have that big a drop obviously it's impactful To lose the same way they basically did last year in Tempe, though, I mean, it's like deja vu all over again for Mark D'Antonio's team. And I I just, I don't know what else to say except that was just an awful loss.
1: I mean, how do you have that kind of penalty at the end? I know Michigan State fans are up in arms about, you know, the Pac-12 admitting fault there at the end for the leaping penalty that should have been a personal foul and given even closer field goal to tie the game. But how do you have that happen in a situation trying to tie the game in the fourth quarter? We have 12 men on the field on special teams. What a coaching just gaffe by the Spartans coaches. And it's just, it is, it's mind blowing. It is absolutely mind blowing that they would do that. And it speaks to a really big mistake that Mark D'Antonio made this off season when a lot of people were calling for uh, coaching changes, on his staff. And instead of bringing in new coaches, letting his, some of his staff go, he just rearranged job titles. He kept everybody and just gave them new roles. I mean, obviously that looked like a mistake when it was happening and it obviously looks like one now, but that was one of two just massive coaching gaffes this weekend. Uh, Briefly, I wanted to mention the Penn state Pittsburgh game um, where Pittsburgh Alex to uh pat narduzzi elects to kick a field goal on fourth and goal from the one yard line down by seven points with five minutes to go in that game what the hell was that
0: uh, well and the fact that after the fact he continues to try to justify that decision like honestly in the heat of the moment coaches make bad decisions it, you know it's just like a player makes a bad decision has a bad reflex that happens and and you know somebody gets by shit happens in football pardon my language but learn from it you, this is not going to be a learnable or coachable you know mistake to grow from if you don't admit it was a mistake first and foremost um you know in the sweet justice of that is they miss the field goal. So they don't even get the field the chip shot. You know, you're kicking from inside, you know, twenty yards and it yeah, it was almost like a a sweet comeuppance that, you know, you make a dumb call like that and it doesn't pan out for you in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, he talked about it being a two score game, but it's almost like he's never heard of the two point conversion before. (laughs)
1: Right I mean it was it was the the biggest coaching mistake of the weekend maybe that in the, the 12 minute on the field I couldn't really come up with which was which was worse but it was just ridiculous and listen to his explanation was just baffling at that point it's just hey you know what I screwed up that was really stupid of me everyone have a lot more respect for you if you came out and just said that
0: yeah I mean talk about just making the ACC look bad again just ridiculous Obviously, that was just a surprising decision to make. But uh, just in terms of overall results, what was the most surprising result you saw this week? Honestly,
1: it was it was the Arizona State result. But since we already kind of hammered on that a little bit just now, I'll move on to to kind of maybe the most the second most surprising. And you know, Colorado last week after beating Nebraska, coming back and winning that game in overtime was kind of looking like. You know, they had made some pretty big strides in year two and year one under Mel Tucker um, and then to come out at home and, and drop an overtime game to Air Force, which is a pretty big surprise for me. And that's not to downgrade anything for the Falcons team, because Air Force is a really quality team. Another one of those Mountain West teams that, you know, has proven time and time again that they can go on the road against a power five opponent and put a scare into them, if not pull out an outright upset. And they did it again on Saturday. But it's just one that I wasn't really expecting. Um, And maybe I should have been. Colorado was only a three-point favorite. So, I mean, Vegas was obviously expecting a tight game there. It's just it really felt like Colorado maybe turned a corner and then to come out and just kind of get bullied at the line of scrimmage by Air Force, too, on both sides of the ball was really surprising. And, you know, a huge win again for, for the Mountain West, putting another Power 5 skin on the wall with Air Force pulling that one out in overtime.
0: Yeah, that was their, what was it, fifth, sixth win over a Power 5 team. Uh, and actually, right now, they're sitting at seven wins so far this year against Power 5 opponents. The Mountain West is seven and nine. Um, so, I have the numbers here from crunching them for my group of five power rankings. that come out every, every week, and it was, yeah, it, it's unbelievable to see how well they've been playing just across the board because it's it's not just one team getting those results um you know Hawaii has a couple of those wins Nevada has one of them uh Boise State and uh you know like just down the line Wyoming getting the the season opening win over Missouri it's unbelievable um One surprise I wanted to make sure we touched on before we head to the break is Georgia Tech losing in overtime to the Citadel. Um, You know, uh, anytime you see an FCS team take down an FBS team, especially a Power 5 team, it's immediate light bulbs, you know, just kind of flashing in my brain. But this one was huge. To, I mean, if you were going to choose an FCS team that was going to come out and win this week, I would have never dreamed it was going to be the Citadel that did it. You know, they were 0-2 entering this game. Um, both of their losses coming against FCS opponents, so it's not like they were losing to other Power 5 teams before this. Um, you know, Georgia Tech was 1-1. Their only loss so far was against Clemson, which isn't a big shocker for any team so you you know like Georgia Tech seemed like they you know they had home field advantage everything was lined up for them but the Bulldogs came in there and just didn't let up you know they took the lead in the first quarter they were still up by eight at halftime um you know and still held that touchdown lead through three quarters and um You know, Georgia Tech needed a last-second field goal from Brenton King just to get this thing to overtime. So it really came down to that, you know, a furious comeback to make that work for them. But then, you know, King misses the 46-yarder in overtime. Jacob Godek comes in and uh, wins it for the Citadel. Just a, a really phenomenally surprising, just awesome result obviously it's always fun to see these small schools get their moment in the sun uh but yeah i, I it, it, if you would ask me last week which fcs team i thought had the best chance of coming out and winning it certainly wouldn't have been the bulldogs
1: yeah and what a cruel twist of fate for jeff collins's team too to lose not only to an fcs team but an fcs team running the option
0: i know <laughs> yeah it just seemed yeah all, all of that coming together and the way it all added up was just, you know, it was it, it was beautiful to see. If you weren't a Yellow Jackets fan, for sure. Well, you know, on that note, let's let's take a quick look and at our top performers this week. Um, let's start on defense this week. We usually go to offense first, but who who had your defensive game ball this week, John?
1: Uh, You know, it was a, a really tough week. There were several guys that really stood out uh, for me defensively. Uh, but the guy that I ended up going with was Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons. The sophomore was just huge on a day where, you know, the Penn State offense just really couldn't get much going uh, against Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Sean Clifford struggled to throw the football. They weren't really efficient on any kind of Uh, pass plays and they didn't run the ball all that effectively most of the game either they really needed their defense to step up and the kind of leader of that defense is the sophomore linebacker Parsons and you know he came out with nine tackles had a couple tackles for loss deflected a pass he was all over the field for Penn State as he often is and he's such a key guy for the Nittany Lions because it doesn't look like they're going to have the same kind of Trace McSorley explosive offense. There's no Saquon Barkley or even Miles Sanders on this team at this point either. So they're really going to need Parsons and the rest of that defense to come up huge if they want to be a legit contender in the Big Ten this year. They're going to have to win a lot of these kind of ugly, I think, games where you're seeing more 17-10, 20-17 scores and stuff like that. So just really impressed with him uh, as a player, and I thought he had a great game on Saturday and deserves recognition.
0: Yeah, Parsons looked really great on, you know, what was honestly a sloppy day in State College, Um, you know, and, and the ability to keep his composure and keep that team, you know, that defense focused, especially with the game getting, you know, the start of the game delayed by 40 minutes. So yeah, just hats off all around there. I think that's a great pick. Um, For me, my defensive performer actually came in a game that you mentioned a bit earlier. Um, You know, Temple getting that upset over Maryland was huge. And I think one guy who really stood out for that defense was cornerback Harrison Hand. Um, You know, he was a big part of the reason why Maryland was only able to put 17 points on the scoreboard after averaging more than 60 in their first two. Um, You know, he had 10 tackles, six of them were solo. He chipped in on a tackle for loss behind the line. So, you know, he was getting pressure up front and on the back end, Um, broke up a pass. But most importantly, he had a huge interception on Maryland's opening drive, Um, you know, just kind of took the wind out of the Terps' sails right away and didn't let them get any momentum. Um Temple came around and, and scored a touchdown on the ensuing drive. So, you know, that obviously that, you know, the points off the turnover, if you look at the way the scoreboard went out, in a way they made the difference, even if it was at the very beginning of the game. You know, points at the beginning count the same as they do at the end. And, you know, his defensive play there in a lot of ways helped them get that last touchdown that put them over the top. So He's the guy I I singled out there. Um, And then shifting to offense, I was really impressed with Anthony Gordon again at Washington State. Uh, You you know, the quarterback led a second-half comeback to beat Houston there at NRG Stadium. Um, It's always interesting when, when Houston plays at the Texans' home stadium, so it's technically a neutral site game, but they're right there in town. Um, so, you know, Houston in the battle of the Cougars had the upper hand in terms of home field, but and they had the momentum in the beginning, but Gordon played really well. And the thing that, that impressed me most is I ended up breaking down his stat line by half first half. He goes 15 of 20 for 199 yards with a touchdown and an interception, Second half, he goes twenty-one of twenty-eight for two forty-one and two touchdowns. He was seventy-five percent completion rate in the first half, seventy-five percent on the dot in the second half. You know, he 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 just stayed good the entire game. Which um, you know, if, if if Washington hadn't, you know, if he had needed time to heat up or whatnot, Washington State was not winning that game, and so. Just that consistent performance in Mike Leach's offense is the reason why I handed the ball his way this week.
1: That's a great pick. You know, the uh, a former walk-on waiting his turn, surprisingly getting the nod there, and it really speaks again to Mike Leach's ability to develop quarterbacks. Just look at all the guys that have played under him that you know are out in the league and stuff like that. Now that have actually had solid NFL careers, even just some of them just as backups, but better than a lot of people kind of thought as they all had the system quarterback label so just another in the long line of guys that he's kind of groomed um i stuck with my surprise team of the week which was air force and went with caden rimsburg uh the the air force running back who not only scored what ultimately proved to be the game-winning touchdown in overtime it was really just the catalyst of air force's offense all day long getting 23 carries for 146 yards a real workhorse load for that backfield and that offense as a whole and really putting the team on his back uh, and ultimately leading air force to a big upset win on the road against colorado
0: great pick for sure on that note folks we're going to head on our first quick break here and when we return we're going to be looking at week four games against the spread so stay tuned Welcome back after the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We're here switching gears, talking about Week 4 action, looking at games against the spread. And our first game we're looking at this week is a big Friday night showdown out in the Mountain West uh, as Air Force heads to the Smurf turf to face number 22 Boise State. The Broncos are an 8-point favorite in this game, over underline is set at 55 points. What do you think the big story is in this game, John?
1: You know, it'll be Air Force trying to limit possessions, I think, for Boise State's offense. You know, they're going to try to grind out the clock, they're going to try to go on the long, sustained drives and keep the ball out of Hank Bachmeyer and the explosive Boise State offense's hands as much as they can and just kind of shrink the margin for error for Boise State. Uh, so any kind of potential turnovers, and Bachmeyer as good as he's been, has thrown three interceptions in three games. So if they can force a couple turnovers um, and then go on those you know, 10, 15, even 20-play drives where they just grind out the clock, even if they're only getting three points, eventually it really starts wearing on the opposing defense and as good as Boise State's defense is as many talented players like Curtis Weaver and those guys are on that side of the ball drilling the field for those kind of drives where you know Air Force is getting three four yards a pop but enough to keep moving the chains and moving the chains it becomes demoralizing for teams and that's what uh you know these service academy teams like Air Force like Navy like Army have done to so many high-end opponents for so long now so I you know personally eighth feels really low for this game with Boise State at home to me, which kind of worries me a little bit for the Broncos. Like Vegas is trying to really urge you, urge everyone to take Boise State with that kind of line, which means they might know something that I don't. So I think this game's a little bit closer than the experts kind of think. And I think Boise State wins, but maybe by a touchdown and no more. Something along the lines of 24 to 17 makes sense to me with Air Force really dominating the time of possession and keeping Boise State's offense on the sideline.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting looking back at the history between these two teams, because you know, before 2011, they would never faced each other. Since then, they've played seven times in the past eight years, and Boise State only just took the lead back in the series last year. So all-time, Boise State's won four, Air Force's won three of them. And, you know, there was that three-year stretch there where the Falcons just had Boise State's number. And, you know, usually they meet later in the season. It's really interesting to see them playing in September for the first time since 2014, um, but but when you actually go back into their record, more often than not, I mean, these games don't end up as close as you'd think. So I'm really, I'm leaning toward taking Boise State and letting them, you know, give eight points there, and they're still going to be good there. Um, I'm kind of on that opposite boat, you know. I think Air Force's option is definitely a big test for that top 40 Boise State defense, but... Even though it is Hank Bachmeyer's first conference game, I think he's going to come out and excel. Like just the way we've seen him those first couple weeks and just beginning to pass these tests. I I, I think this one's gonna be like a, a Boise State 38, Arizona State 20 or not Arizona State, excuse me, Air Force, uh CNA there and start talking. But yeah, Air Force, like 24, 27. I think it's going to be at least a 10-point margin in this game.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I think we both agree that Boise State's going to win the game, but Uh, I just like Air Force to kind of grind it out and keep it a little closer. And then, you know, obviously Air Force already pulled out a big win this year. It wouldn't be too big of a shock if they went to the Smurf turf and pulled out another big upset two weeks in a row.
0: No, certainly not a a big shock at all, especially, like I said, the way this season or the all-time series has gone between these two teams, if Air Force came back and leveled up that series again this year, wouldn't surprise me in the least. Shifting to Saturday action, we have a couple of really huge top 25 matchups. After complaining last week that there were no matchups of top 25 teams against one another, we get, we get at least one in every slot throughout the day, it looks like. Um, earlier in the day, we have uh, number 11, Michigan, traveling to Madison to face number 14, Wisconsin, at Camp Randall. Uh, the Badgers are favored in that game by three and a half points at home. Um, But Vegas is looking at this as a defensive game over under set at 45 and a half. What do you think about those lines and what do you think is going to be the big factor in this game, John? And
1: to me, it all really comes down to is Michigan's offense going to be able to move the ball consistently against a really dominant Wisconsin defense so far, you know, through eight quarters of football this season, Wisconsin's given up a whole no points, not a single solitary one so far and say what you will about south florida and central michigan's validity it's impressive to shut out anyone for eight straight quarters of football like wisconsin's defense has done and just you know michigan's offense just really hasn't looked very good the first two games against middle tennessee state and army they really struggled to move the ball consistently particularly through the air um shea patterson's kind of been a bit iffy i would say so far I was a little surprised at the three and a half point line. The over under is probably fair. These games typically grind it out low scoring affairs. But to me, three and a half's not near enough points to scare me away from Wisconsin. I'm really impressed with the Badgers through two weeks. Jack Cohn's been super impressive at quarterback. It obviously helps when you have a guy like Jonathan Taylor to hand the ball off to in the backfield. But the fact now that they've got that quarterback, and you know this will obviously be his biggest test. But if he can take some of that pressure off Taylor, the play-action game for Wisconsin can be really, really deadly. With as much, you know, as many guys as you have to commit to trying to stop a stud in the backfield like him, um, I really like the Badgers here, Zach. And I know that's music to your ears, uh, being a Wisconsin guy yourself. But I, I really like the Badgers here. I like them to to beat the spread and really kind of hammer Michigan in this game, something along the lines of. Um, 27 to 10 is what kind of rung out in my head i think wisconsin's defense dominates and i think taylor has a really big game
0: i I think we're in alignment on this one because the two things i jotted down leading into this game are that jack cones the x factor um you know michigan comes into this game giving up only 138 yards through the era game um, obviously, that skewed a bit having played against Army, so um, you have to take a, that with a, a bit of caution when looking at the stats. But I wrote down Wisconsin thirty-one, Michigan ten, so I think we're pretty close to the same page on that one. I think you know they're both going to beat the spread. You know we both think the Badgers are going to beat the spread, and we both think the under on this one. It looks like so. Um, awesome. I think we've got some consensus there. Let's see if we make it happen again when we move on to our next game. A little bit later, we're looking at number eight Auburn heading to College Station to face number 17 Texas A&M at Kyle Field. In this one, the Aggies are a four-point favorite, um, over-under set at 49 points, um, and You know, I think what's really interesting in this one, if I may just jump in right away, you know, two of the top 20 pass defenses in the country are squaring off here. And, I, you know, I think it really is going to be, you know, I think veteran quarterback play could make the difference here. Um, Kellen Mond has just done this more often than Bo Nix has ever had to deal with it on the college level. Um, Obviously, Nix hadn't a top 25 matchup, on neutral turf uh, earlier this season playing against Oregon and got the win in that game. Um, not to say that he looked great doing it, but he certainly did on that final drive when they, they stuck it to the docks in the end. Um, but you know, in this game, I think the big, uh, you know, as good as both those past defenses are, I think the big story is going to be Texas A&M's rush defense against Jatarvius Willow. Um, You know, Whitlow's looked really great in the Tigers' backfield so far. And, um, you know, the Aggies have been just stellar at stopping the run. So something's going to have to give there. Um, But, yeah, before I actually give my pick, I'd love to hear what, you know, if there's anything else that sticks out in this game for you.
1: I think the the that's a really key matchup you were talking about with Auburn's stable of running backs led by Whitlow and those guys against Texas A&M's stout front seven that really shut down Travis Etienne and Clemson a few week or a couple weeks ago uh, and really held Clemson only an explosive Clemson offense to only 24 points and Auburn's kind of struggled to run the ball effectively uh, they didn't run the ball that well against Oregon um, they didn't run the ball that great against Tulane. They got it going last week against Kent State, but this is a whole different ball game. And this also being Bo Nix's first road start, it's paramount if Auburn's going to win that game for them to be able to run the ball effectively and take some pressure off Nix. You know, he's bounced back some in recent weeks after a real struggle. You know, you have to give him credit for his medal against Oregon, making plays at the end of that game. But he's still only completing 52% of his passes through three games. That's not good enough for Auburn to win an SEC championship this year. He's got to be better than that. Another really key matchups on the other side of the field in the trenches. Kellen Mond was just beaten up against Clemson. AM could do nothing against the Tigers' defense. They only managed 10 points. Mond took just hit after hit uh, in that game. And now he's going up against another really dominant front seven. Derek Brown and that Auburn defensive front are going to be really tough. He's actually questionable for the game. So if he's out, that's going to be a huge loss for Auburn in this one. I really like... Uh, this to be a defensive struggle, to be honest with you. I think both defenses are going to have their way, and it's going to come down to home field advantage really playing uh, the biggest role here, and I think Kellen Mond's experience against these kind of opponents, like you said, and the kind of sour taste that that loss at Auburn had for A&M last year where they blew a 10-point lead with four minutes or so to go in the game, kind of fresh on the Aggies' minds. I like Texas uh, A&M 24-21, uh, to pull out the win in College Station Saturday,
0: so you have A and M with the win, but you have Auburn covering. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, I'm a puss. I get it.
0: No, I you know I think th- <laughs> I think it really could be a close game. I personally said uh, 24-17. I think A and M does cover, um, but I, I you know I think it's within a few points like we're looking at there. And yeah, yeah. I think I think home field and the 12th man is going to make that just that little bit of push between two teams that are really quite similar. One game that probably won't be that low scoring is Oklahoma State taking on number 12, Texas, in Austin. Uh, Texas is a five-point favorite in that game. This is an over-under that's set at 73 points, so obviously Vegas thinks there will be some scoreboard action in this one. Um... Because, yeah, these are two of the highest-scoring offenses in the country. Oklahoma State's a top-10 offense in scoring. Texas, I think, is 18th or 19th. So, you know, both of these teams are putting up well over 40 points a game. Um, and, you know, that Longhorn D is ranked 24th in the country against the run. Uh, Chubba Hubbard, yeah, uh, great name, by the way, uh, you know, he, he, he led the country last week in rushing, finished with uh, 240-something yards and three touchdowns. And at this point, through three games, he is the national leader in rushing. 521 yards to date through three games, has seven touchdowns so far. And I think that's the huge matchup right there. How does How does the Longhorns' run defense deal with Hubbard?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think part of the reason Texas's run defense has been so good, though, is because their pass defense has been so bad and teams have just been throwing all over the place. Texas has given up 330 yards per game through the air so far. Uh, Oklahoma State's redshirt freshman quarterback, Spencer Sanders, has been pretty terrific through three games. This is a whole new test, though. I'm interested to see if Oklahoma State is legit or not. You know, they beat Texas last year in Stillwater, but. They were probably the most Jekyll and Hyde team in college football last year, capable of knocking off Texas, also just as capable of dropping games to a five and seven team like Texas Tech um, last year. So they ended up, you know, going six and six in the regular season. Really, Mike Conley, hoping they bounce back this year and compete for, you know, a spot maybe in the Big Twelve title game. Well, this is their chance to prove that they're there. I just don't know if Oklahoma state defensively is going to be able to get enough stops. I have more faith in Texas's defense than I have Oklahoma state's um, even against some lesser opponents. The Cowboys have still given up, you know, 24 points a game or so um, they were really struggled to stop Oregon state in the season opener. And this is a whole different animal with Sam Ellinger, <coughs> Keontae Ingram, and those guys on Texas. So I actually think, Oklahoma State probably keeps it within the spread. This is probably a one-score game. Texas, Ellinger leads Texas on a game-winning drive, 38-34 Longhorns.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I think that's really fair. I, I, I'm i with you. I think Oklahoma State does cover. I think that five points is tight. I think there's going to be a lot more scoring, though. Like I would not be surprised to see this be the highest-scoring game of the week. Um I I see the total points go over a hundred. I said Texas 56, Oklahoma state 52. Whoa. I think this is going to be a, a barn burner. I really do. Um, I, I don't have confidence in either one of those defenses to be honest. So yeah, that's just the way I'm seeing it is, is we're going to see points galore. So if you're a fan of offense, um, Definitely tune into that game, everybody, Um, and maybe avoid Auburn, Texas Um, (laughs) A&M. And then, um, yeah, the last game that we're going to be looking at before we take our last break here, everybody, is the huge primetime showdown on Saturday evening, Uh, top 10 matchup between number seven, Notre Dame, and number three, Georgia, between the Hedges and Athens, um the Bulldogs are a two touchdown favorite in this game, giving fourteen points. Um over-under is set at fifty-six points for this game even. Um and yeah, throw it to you, John. What do you what do you think about this game?
1: That spread feels really high and kind of honestly disrespectful to Notre Dame. I think a lot of that comes from Vegas' perception that the betting public is still really down on Notre Dame after losing to Clemson uh, as bad as they lost to them uh, last season in the, in the playoffs semifinal. But I wish everyone would understand that Clemson beat everybody like that down the stretch last season. Alabama didn't fare much better against Clemson than Notre Dame did. Actually, they lost by one point more than Notre Dame did technically, if you get down to it as much as it pains me to say that. But I think that perception is causing this kind of two touchdown spread for the Irish. I mean, I think that they have a shot. I don't think they're going to go to Athens and win. I just, maybe if it was in South Bend, I'd pull the trigger. Uh, It's just with it being a game between the hedges, you know, it's going to be a crazy environment there. I heard today that they were having to put in some temporary seats because they're expecting just an unbelievable crowd um, in Athens for that game this weekend. The thing that concerns me with Notre Dame so far this year just has been their really lack of ability to run the football um, through their first couple of games. Um, so can they get the ground game going to take some pressure off Ian Book uh, against a really aggressive Kirby Smart defense in Athens? If they can't run the ball effectively, I can't really see Book putting it all on his shoulders and and passing them to win the game against a tough Georgia defense. And on the flip side, stopping Georgia's stable of running backs led by DeAndre Swift uh, is going to be a really tough challenge for a Notre Dame defense that's really struggled against the run so far this year, going up 230 yards per game um, on the ground through two games. I think Georgia is going to run the ball effectively. I think this game's close for a while. Georgia kind of pulls away at the end, but I think 14 and a half is too much. I took Georgia 34-24.
0: I think that's not an unreasonable way to look at it. Personally, everything you've said there, though, just has me leaning more and more toward Georgia. Um, You know, this is a Bulldogs team that fields a top 10 offense at the moment nationally and a top 10 defense when you break it down statistically. Um, And, you know, the Fighting Irish have had a lot of luck with turnovers. They're plus six uh, leading the nation in turnover margin. And a large part of that is seven takeaways through their first two games. It's obviously made a huge difference, but... I have, I, I still have concerns about Ian Book, to be honest. You know, he's second nationally in yards per completion, but he's only 72nd in completion rate. So, you know, when he actually does connect, he's hitting on some big plays and he's chewing up some big plus plays. But they're not happening with enough regularity. His his completion rate is well below sixty percent at this point of the season. And for somebody who, you know, supplanted Brandon Winbush and was installed as the guy and was supposed to just take another leap this year, that's a little disconcerting to me. You would hope that completion rate would be going up rather than down. And against a team like Georgia, you you have to fit it in tight windows and you have to make every one of your throws count. And so on that note, I, I think George is going to cover this spread. I, I think the emotion of being at home and everything, I, 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 I just see that, that offense taking off in the second half, you know, like you said, I think Notre Dame can keep it close in that first half. You know, I think it might be like 14, 10 at halftime. But then you know, uh, Jake From and everybody come out and just light it up in the second half. I'm I'm saying it's a three touchdown victory for Georgia. I, I think they get a last touchdown there at the end to cover it thirty eight seventeen somewhere along there.
1: No one needs this game to be close more than Brian Kelly does to get the narrative away from Notre Dame not being able to cut it on the big stage and not still and still not being. Uh, up there with the true elite teams of of college football, so he really needs this game, if not an outright victory in Athens. No one's gonna you know knock Notre Dame for not being able to pull out a road win at Georgia when there's only maybe one or two teams this year who could probably do that. Yeah. So he definitely needs to keep this one close i I think he does it would not shock me though if you hit the nail on the head and Georgia ends up running away with this. Uh, I do really like this Georgia team. So we'll get a really good idea of the validity of both of these teams on Saturday
0: night. But yeah, definitely Brian Kelly needs his version of the Bush push here at the very least. Even in defeat, you know, just acquitting himself well at the very least. On that note, we're going to take our final break, everybody. When we come back, we'll offer a few more picks against the spread, offer some food and drink options for the weekend, and send you on your way. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome back from our last break, everybody, for the last segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast. We're going to be going into our locks of the week, our upset picks of the week, and with the last few moments, diving into what we'll be eating and drinking this weekend. First things first, John. You know, there are some great games against the spread this week, just going down the list at Bovada. And, um, I'm just wondering what's one that just pops out to you as an absolute lock that you just have, you would have to put money on.
1: I don't know what it is with, with Vegas and and central Florida, but all I got to say is I'm happy to continue profiting off the underrating of, of the Knights this year. They're only a 12 and a half point favorite at Pitt. I get it's a road game. I don't care. I don't care where that game's played. Central Florida has beat the hell out of everyone so far this year. They just smacked Stanford when most people thought Stanford would at least give them some sort of a game. They're going to Pitt. Pitt is not good this year. Uh, don't let the close loss to Penn State fool you. This is not a good Pittsburgh team. I think Central Florida is going to go up um, to Heinz Field on, on Saturday and just blow the doors off Pittsburgh, to be honest with you. They know this is a huge game for Central Florida because it's their – You know, last opportunity to make a Power Five statement this year. This is not the best team they have left on their schedule, though. I think we're in agreement on that when you look at the rest of the teams they'll play in the American Athletic Conference. But this is the game that will resonate the most across the country. I think UCF knows that. I think they come out motivated. I think you see a similarly fast start where they put two, three, maybe even four touchdowns on the board before everyone's even in their seats good. Um, And I think they end up winning by... By 21, 28, maybe even 30 plus points.
0: I think that's probably likely it was definitely one I had tabbed as a as a lock myself. Um, just really immediately popped out to me that that spread was that low. you know Pittsburgh was able to to stay close against Penn State, but let's face it, there are a few offenses in the country, power five group of five, any level that are as potent, as dangerous, and as consistent as the Knights are on the field. Um, so yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think it's at least a 20-point victory for, for for the Knights this weekend. Um, another one that stood out for me, obviously it's one that's immediately going to pop out to me, but 3-0 and Wyoming is a 3.5-point underdog at Tulsa this weekend. Take that, please. Uh, because the Cowboys are, are looking really good under Craig Bowl this year. It feels like things are starting to really come together for that team and they're getting their identity. Um, obviously, that identity is really geared around defense and running, which for anybody who followed, you know the bison when he was there, that should be absolutely no surprise at all. Um, but just that team is really locked in right now. Obviously, I think Vegas has some pause there because of the way things shook out in the Idaho game this weekend. But I don't don't sleep on Wyoming here, and especially against a team like Tulsa that's not going to be competing for the American Athletic Conference this year. I, I, I think three and a half, being a three-and-a-half-point dog even on the road is really kind of a a disrespect there for Wyoming and they're just going to use it as chalkboard material and and run this one out
1: no I agree that that's a stunning line to me I don't even think I had noticed that I kind of glossed over it but that's a an absolute stunner and I think you'd be crazy to not grab all the Wyoming you can this week um Leaning on that, Zach, what do you think? Uh, Obviously, that would be an upset, according to Vegas, but not to anyone with working eyeballs. So what's your your upset pick this week?
0: Well, it's actually one of Wyoming's old rivals. We saw BYU take down USC this week, and I'm not going to say that they will win against Washington, but I think this game gets decided by a field goal either way. BYU is a six-point underdog at home, against the the 22nd ranked Huskies but you know other than losing to a top 10 Utah team in their season opener BYU is just getting better and better with each passing week you know on both sides of the ball Um, just a really strong ball hawking defense that could give fits to Jacob Eason and that crew Um, Eason has not been you know, the he's not been just an otherworldly quarterback this year. He's made mistakes. He's looked rusty. And I think that BYU secondary can exploit that some. And then, you know, Zach Wilson just looks more and more like a gunslinger with each week. And I think this one could go to overtime again. I wouldn't be shocked to see BYU playing yet another overtime game and I, I I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see the Cougars win outright, but at the very least, this is a this is a field goal game either way. Six points is way too much for Washington to be taking against a team like this.
1: Right. No, I, I, I like that as well. I think the six points is kind of a a scary line too, because it's low enough that people are gonna probably bet Washington pretty heavy, but BYU's been so good in these kind of games so far this year. Um I went with probably the most surprising line of the week for me, and I get this is a long road trip for Cal, but they're two-point underdogs at Ole Miss this Saturday, and that's just stunning to me was as good as Cal has looked. Uh, I get they struggled some against North Texas. That's an obvious hangover game, though, coming off the huge win over Washington that was delayed and didn't finish until, you know, 4 o'clock or whatever it was Sunday morning. And then North Texas is the quality football team as well, uh, to put that. You know who's not a quality football team? Ole Miss is not a quality football team this year. Um, the Rebels lost to Memphis. They've got a win over Arkansas, who's also very bad. And then they let Southeast Louisiana put 29 points on them last week and really could have easily been on upset alert if it wasn't for a kickoff return for a touchdown um, early in that game. Uh, so I I really like Cal plus two. I'd like Cal on the money line, honestly, in that game, if you want to give me that. I really like the Golden Bears to go to Oxford and pull off that win. That defense for Cal is just so good. Ole Miss's offensive line is not so good as we saw. Memphis dominated them in the trenches. I expect much of the same in this game. I think Cal is going to do that. Um, I think Evan Weaver and that defense are going to fly all over the field. They're going to hold Matt Corral and that offense to a low number of points, and Cal's going to go on the road and get a really big win for the Pac-12, another conference that sorely needs some quality wins and I wouldn't necessarily call this a quality win, but anytime you can go across the country and beat an SEC team, that's a feather in the cap for your conference. And I really like Cal in this game.
0: Yeah. Especially the way that the PAC 12 is done against SEC teams lately. Um, any win over any of their schools is going to be a good win for them. And yeah, I, I definitely think the golden bears are way better than that spread is giving them credit. Uh, great pick. So, shifting gears for our last few minutes here, John, as we always do. Uh, what you going to be eating and drinking this week?
1: You know, uh, I don't. I can't technically drink this, but it's a beer that's been on my mind. I wanted to talk about because I miss Tuscaloosa so damn much this time of the year. You know, I lived there for five years. Loved going to games. Um, this time of year, they play Alabama will play Southern Miss on Saturday, and 11 a.m. kick, so an early morning kick. Where if you're going to that game, you're not gonna want real heavy kind of beer that time of day. One of my favorite places in the world is Druid City Brewery in Tuscaloosa. Uh, they make great beer there. I'm a huge fan of the Druid of the uh, the Druid City Wheat uh, beer. And this time of the year, when it's still 90 plus degrees outside and you've got the 11 a.m. kick, it's a great place to go. Grab a few Druid City wheats at nine o'clock in the morning and then walk the short distance over to Bryant Denny and enjoy the game.
0: Great breakfast beer, it sounds like. I love it. And then what you gonna oh, be yeah, eating? Absolutely. I mean, obviously you can't have any any of the Druid City, but what what will be you uh be eating to fuel up for this weekend?
1: Uh, I was thinking about doing some uh some pulled pork sliders was kind of the option that I was leaning into, you know. Uh, making some pulled pork, getting some nice sweet Hawaiian rolls, putting those on there with some, uh, some provolone cheese or something like that on top, something simple, keep it simple with Alabama playing early in the day. Uh, you don't want to peak too early on that kind of Saturday. So something you can kind of snack on throughout the day. And it's going to be nice to just sit there and wait for you to come back for more.
0: Awesome. Sounds like a great plan. Um, Personally, I'm gonna be in a Wyoming celebration mood this weekend, and um, you know the the Cowboys are three and O for the first time since 2011, and I think it's only the second time since 1996 when they won 10 games. Um, and so I'm going out and I'm buying some elk burgers and some bison burgers, and those are going out on the grill this weekend. Figure get a little bit of a taste a taste of home. And then, um, you know, to wash it down, uh, there's a great little distillery, Wyoming Whiskey, that was about three hours east of where I grew up. Found a bottle of that, 88 proof. uh, And I've actually been craving mint juleps lately for some reason. So I think I'm making a couple of mint juleps out of that. And then, you know, if I still have a craving, might just have a couple of fingers on the rocks.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in case Wyoming doesn't pull off that win this weekend, you've got, you know, you can just start taking hits from the bottle.
0: Exactly. So, you know, I'm well prepared for any eventuality, I like to think.
1: I like it. That is that's the Boy Scout motto and the Saturday Blitz motto are Saturday Blitz podcast motto to always be prepared for devastating losses on
0: Saturdays. It can always sneak up on you, everybody. Well, as you prepare for week four action for whoever your favorite team might be, I hope you have smooth sailing, uh, wonderful rest of your last couple days before the weekend starts. And I hope once your team hits the field that things go swimmingly for them. Always a pleasure talking with you, everybody. We'll be back again next Wednesday morning to chat with you again. Until then, have a wonderful week. Enjoy the football.